Psalm 39 is where we're going to be today. Psalm 39. And as you're flipping there, let me ask you, when do you call the doctor when there's an issue? Some of y'all probably call the doctor the first time your nose gets a little bit runny. Right? My sister, the doctors see her name on the list, and they just tell her, go home. Go home, we don't need to see you. Come back when it's serious. Right? But yeah, some people go to the doctors all the time. Right? Man, I got this really bad hangnail, and it's starting to get a little pink around the nail, so I better go to the doctor. Some folks are like that. Most of y'all are probably not like that. Some folks in here are more stubborn, right? Where it's like, man, I'm having chest pains, I can't breathe, I've fallen down and collapsed three times today, and I've woken up several hours later. Yeah, I'll go see the doctor when it gets a little more serious. Yeah, there's some folks do not want to go to the doctor, right? They just don't want to go. And then there's most of us probably in the middle somewhere to some extent of that. But when you think about it, we will eventually end up going to the doctor, right? We'll, we'll end up somewhere and then we realize there's something not, not right with us and we go to the doctor eventually. That's not the same spiritually. Spiritually, there's times when we realize, hey, I think there's something wrong or we're just not even sensitive to it. And we just realize, eh, there's just a general numbness in my soul that shouldn't be there. And we don't ever go to the doctor about it. If you had a hand that was numb all the time, like your fingertips were numb, your hand was always numb, it was just always numb, you would grab things and you didn't even know if you had enough pressure to hold it up and it would fall out of your hand. How many would go see a doctor then? Right? Yeah. Because there's a numbness about it and you're like, oh, this ain't right. Spiritually, we get a little bit numb like that. And you know, unfortunately, a lot of times we just go right past it. We just ignore it. We move on. Yeah, whatever. I'll get my dose of church next week or whatever. Or yeah, I'll go have a conversation with somebody at some point about something. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe it won't, but whatever. We treat it so kind of haphazardly, we just, it's, we're very casual with it. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a psalm that David wrote, and David was most likely, we can't be 100% sure, but he was most likely within the last decade of his life, the last probably five years of his life even, where he's getting older, he's getting worn out, he's tired, he's probably sick, and we're going to look at what David says. Because he realized there was something going on within him that wasn't sitting right with the, with, with, with God above. Can't really say the Holy Spirit because at that time, before the resurrection, I don't know if you knew this, before the resurrection, people weren't just filled with the Holy Spirit because they believed. God would specifically give them the Holy Spirit to accomplish a task. And there were times in David's life when he was filled with the Spirit. But there were also times in his life when he wasn't. And right here, David was struggling with some stuff going on in his life. And we can't 100% be sure what was going on. But there were some struggles going on. And he knew there was something off in him. And he said, all right, I just go back off. 
I got to give myself a serious self-examination and figure out what's going on. Oftentimes, we'll give ourselves a self-examination spiritually and we'll go, yeah, I see what's off and I need to right the wrong. Or sometimes we don't because we're just like, eh, it's not worth it. I'll wait until it gets more serious. But today, looking at a guy who was close to God, who realized there was, there was some distance between him and the Lord, and he didn't like that, and he wanted to change it. This is really kind of a, a powerful thing. It was kind of humbling this week as I was sitting there thinking about it. And as I was preparing this thing, it really started pulling up some stuff in my own life. And I pray that it'll do that with you as well. So three P's that we're going to have are going to be perspective, position, and purpose. So that's really what we're going to be looking at today. The perspective, the position, and the purpose. So we're going to dive into Psalm 39. We're going to read the first six verses. The Bible says, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle, while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace, even from good. And my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days? That I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best, at his best state, is but vapor. Selah. All right. Very, very much about humility this morning in this, in this passage. And David starts out in the first couple of verses, he's like, Lord, I'm just going to sit down and shut up. Because, and this was a song. I don't know if you guys, when you read Psalms, you read the little headings there. This says, a prayer for wisdom and forgiveness to the chief musician, to Jedithin, a psalm of David. So this is actually lyrics that David wrote and then he handed over to like the lead musician on the worship team and said, come up with the song for this. And the song is basically, I just want to sit down and shut up. I don't want to talk because if I talk, I'm probably going to say something bad against you and or I don't want anybody to hear me say anything that might ruin my witness might ruin your reputation by what I say, but he's just like, I'm just going to sit down and I'm just going to shut up. Man, my family will tell you I need to do that some more. Some of y'all probably tell me I need to do that some more. Just sit down and be still and know that he is God. So often in our lives, we don't get to that point. We're always thinking about something else. We always got something else cooking, something else going on, and we just don't ever get to the point where we can sit down and shut up. 
How many have someone in your house, and it may even be you, and that's why I'm saying someone in your house, earbuds in the ear all the time, phone always going, iPad or whatever, the, the little whatever it is, and you're always consuming. You're always doing something. TV's always going. Always just something going on. Radio always on in the background. And it's always this noise coming in. And it's almost like we never get to the point where we'll just push everything away and say, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to listen to anything else. I just, I just want to hear from you, Lord. Man. I miss that sometimes because I'm as guilty of it as anybody else in here of constantly filling the voids in with something else. And I'll fill the voids in with good stuff too. I'll fill in the voids of with, with, with preaching and with Bible studies or just audio Bible and it's always going. And I never have a time to just sit back and, and be alone with God sometimes because I'm always filling, filling, filling. I think we do better to just push away from all that stuff and say, Lord, just, just speak to me. Just let me, let me sit in silence until I hear from you. And I'm just going to tell you all something now. When you finally get to that point, He isn't going to answer you in the first three minutes. All right, This ain't Burger King. It ain't your way right away. It may take, you ready for this? 20 minutes. 30 minutes, three hours of you just trying to cultivate the right heart and the right frame of mind to just actually talk with God, have that fellowship with Him. David says, I'm going to guard my mouth so I don't sin with it. I'm going to put a muzzle on. How bad is the tongue sometimes when we just start flapping it? We just start flapping our gums. Before we know it, we might be gossiping. We might be running people down. We might be doing this, that, and the other. James talks about how powerful the mouth is, right? James refers to it and, and compares it to the rudder on a huge ship. It's a fraction. It's, an, it's a tiny little piece in comparison to the whole ship, yet it steers it. It also says it, it's like, Flames that hit the field and it sets the fields ablaze. One little flicker, one little flame can set the whole field on fire. That's what takes place with the tongue. David's like, I don't want to speak out against you. And I don't want anybody else to hear it. I mute with silence. And he said, I held my peace even from doing good. He's like... I just wanted to back off from everything, even if it was good stuff. I just wanted to get away from it just so I can be apart from my own intentions and all that kind of stuff. And then he speaks as sorrow was stirred up in him. Because I promise you, if you've ever drifted from the Lord a little bit, when you finally step back and you get quiet, it stirs up a sorrow within you because you realize how much sin has gone on in my life from the last time I've had this check. It's almost like an oil change. 
Think of it as a spiritual oil change. What happens if you don't change your oil in your vehicle? That thing gets all, first the oil starts getting dark and real muddy looking, right? And then it turns into a point of nasty and it gets thicker and thicker until eventually it locks up the engine. I've seen videos where guys go and they, they're doing an oil change. I don't know why I was watching an oil change. I'm not much of an oil change guy. But anyway, these guys, they take the thing out and like the sludge pours out. It's nasty. I'm like, that can't be good for the car to have jello, have black jello come out of your engine. But that's what it looked like. Spiritually, we need to make sure that that we are taking our souls and our spirits into the shop regularly. Not every 3,000 miles or every 5,000 miles or every 10,000 miles. But why do we do this every week? Why do we do it twice a week, sometimes three times a week? So that there is a way to get that check and to make sure that everything's running right and to have that tune-up. But oftentimes, imagine if I just pulled into the garage, right, the, the, and said, all right, guys, here I am. And I pulled in, I shut the engine off, I went out, I paid them. Maybe I didn't pay them. Maybe I just sat there for 20, 30 minutes in the car. They never got to the car, and I drove off. And I said, well, I went to the shop, went to the oil shop. They didn't do anything, but at least I was there, and I drove off. And there was no change within the vehicle. Does that, does, does that do the vehicle any good? No. Same thing when you come to church. Sometimes we come to church and we're hard-hearted and we're thinking about other stuff and our minds ain't right and our heart's not right and we're not ready to worship and we're more critical about the people in front of us or the people near us or I don't like this and we're critical about stuff and we're not worshiping God. And when that worship isn't there and our hearts aren't right, what ultimately ends up happening is you're that person who pulls up to the garage, says, yeah, I'm at the oils changed place and uh, they're kind of busy, so I'm just going to leave without getting the oil change. What's that do for your vehicle? That black jello is going to come pouring out the engine sooner or later. David had that sorrow stirred up. And then it gets pretty serious. Now let's look at the context of who David is. Some of y'all know, oh, David was the king. Yes, he was the king. And not only was he, was, was he a king at this point, he is a beloved king that has unified the nation. All right? His son was trying to kill him, and half the nation took his son's side. And David was somehow overcame that, still wept for his son when his son died, still loved him, unifies the nation, the side that hated him, he gets them together, and they look at him as a beloved king. He was a famous songwriter, right? If you turned on the radio back in those days in downtown Jerusalem, you were likely to hear one of David's greatest hits. Tilly, I'm just kidding, they didn't have radios back then. But it it would have been that equivalent. You would have heard something from David on the radio. People were singing songs and psalms that he wrote. This is a guy that has slain giants. Remember the story of David and Goliath? Everybody does, right? Back in those days, 
They knew who David was and they had their freedom from the Philistines because of David. He was a great army leader. He was, he was a man's man. He was like a special forces, Navy SEAL, ops type of guy. That's who David was. Now he's the king. And for him to do all this, this is, this is a romantic, this is the warrior poet, this is the king. And now, this is what he says. After he has shut up and said, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to listen to folks. I'm not going to talk to folks. I just want to be alone with you. Lord, make me know my end. How many of y'all, this is, this gets kind of morbid here. How many of y'all want to know how you're going to die in the end? Few of us do, right? It's like, man, it's kind of curious. And here's the truth of it. Some of us could die today pulling out of church. Some of us may drop dead of a heart attack, heart attack, heart attack in a month, five months, five years, ten years, fifty years. Some of us are going to die from freak accidents. Some of us may die from a prolonged illness that we see coming for a decade. But the fact of the matter is, we're all going to die. And just because we're young doesn't mean we're going to get to see the age of 96. And just because we're old doesn't mean we're not going to die in the next year or two. But we all have a time and it's an appointment with God that you will not be late for. He knows your days, the number of your days. And David is praying, Lord, show me my end. And this is this first P of perspective. He has a perspective of what his sin is like. And it's brought him to his knees and it's brought him ultimately to the point where he says, I want to have some perspective with the rest of my days. I want to have some perspective on where I am in life. I know it's getting closer to the end, but how close is it? Think about this. If you knew that you were going to die next Friday, what would you do with the rest of this week? Would you do all the same stuff that you've been doing? Or would there be more of an urgency and more of a, more of a fire underneath you to get some stuff done that you've never tended to? How many of y'all would be like, well, I really want to just play Candy Crush for the next five days. Cause I really want to get to level 416. There's probably not a person in here that would do that. Why? Because there are more important things in life than whatever app is your favorite app or whatever YouTube is your favorite YouTube channel your favorite TikTok or whatever you're going to go beyond that David has a right perspective and when your perspective is right first on God because David understands who God is David was called a man after God's own heart. When you have the right perspective and the right view of who God is in all His holiness and all His glory and all His sovereignty over us, we can have a right view on ourselves. Think about that. 
A right view of God means I have a right view on myself. And if I have a right view on myself, I'm now going to have a right view on sin in my life. Why? Because God is holy. And if God is holy and hates sin, and I'm walking around freely in sin, then there's an issue between me and God. It changes my perspective. When your perspective on God is right, your perspective on sin is right, and when your perspective on sin is right, it puts you in the right position. 2 Corinthians tells us that godly sorrow, which is what David had here, leads to what? Anybody know? Repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Think about that. David has this godly sorrow in his life. Lord, I've drifted from you. I'm far away from you. I'm not going to speak because I'm going to speak against you maybe. So I'm just going to shut up. And I don't want anybody who hears me speak to take anything about you the wrong way. Man, my perspective now on my sin and who you are really show me that I've drifted from you. And man, this sorrow that I have is leading me to repentance. You know what repentance is? It's a U-turn. It's a 180. Back when I didn't know math, I was real stupid. I still am, kind of. And I would say, man, repentance is when you're going in one direction and you realize you're going the wrong direction and you do a 360. You get it? Some of y'all who don't get math, just as dumb as me. You do, you don't do a 360, because if you do a 360, you're going back in the same direction you started. But if you do a 180, you're heading back in the opposite direction to where you should have, where you made the mistake, where you made the error. So godly sorrow leads to repentance. And the whole idea of David and the self-introspection is to lead to that godly sorrow, which then leads to repentance. Some of y'all, I'm going to ask y'all, hey, today, tomorrow, next week, spend some time, push yourself away from everything else in this world. Get alone, whether it's 9 o'clock at night to 11 o'clock at night, and just get alone and hear from God. Get the things out of your ear, get the thing off your phone, and just spend some time with Him. See if it stirs up a godly sorrow. See if it leads to the repentance that God desires you to have to turn and have that closer relationship with Him. So, a right perspective puts you in a right position for a better relationship with God. Think about this. A position. How many of y'all had a sweetie or have a sweetie wife, a husband, a girlfriend that you want to hold hands with, that you sit near, right? You sit near someone. You hold their hand. Any of y'all hold hands in public? (laughs) Your position of how you are with them shows that you have an intimate relationship, right? I don't walk up to other women and put my arm around them and put my head down on their shoulder and be like, oh, we have a committee meeting later, right? I don't do that. 
I don't do that. Now, I do that to Nikki all the time. I'm just kidding. I'm getting the look right now. I could do that to Nikki. She might think it's weird. But it would be normal for others to see us with my arm around her or her with her hand around my back or whatever. That would be normal because positionally we are in relation because we have a love relationship. Positionally from God right now, where are you? Where are you? Are you right now seated in Christ? The Bible tells you if you're saved, you are. But sometimes we don't feel like we're in that position. Sometimes it feels like we're miles and miles and miles away from Him. Yet, we still have a relationship with Him. But I want you to think about this. Positionally, when your perspective is right on who God is, your position becomes closer to Him in a relationship. It starts with that perspective. Then it works in the position. When you realize who He is, who you are, how He loves you in spite of who you are, it draws you closer to Him, and that position is one with Him. It's hard to feel like you're far from God when you love Him. How many of y'all remember the first time you were in love? Anybody? Some of y'all still waiting for that first time. And you realize you don't want to be apart from that person. I I grew up in the day when we had phones. Y'all remember this phone? Right? And and I could dial a girl's phone number on that thing like... I could get that thing like the spinning wheel of death, man. It was good. Y'all kids don't understand how push-button technology has changed lives. Anyway, I would do that on that phone, and and it was corded. And I could be like, hey, how you doing? And I could walk around the corner, and I knew exactly how far I could go to get away from the position of my family to a position where I could have an intimate conversation with a girlfriend. And then I'd have to unwind myself and go around one piece of furniture and through the other room and all around, and then I'd hang up. But that's what happened. Positionally, in Christ, you have a relationship with the one who is the lover of your soul and wants that relationship with you and wants to be right next to you. He's just a phone call away, and it's cordless. And then the last thing I want to tell you about is that a right perspective puts you in a right position which helps us see our purpose. Your purpose is dependent upon how your relationship and the position of that relationship, which was based on your perspective, takes place. How many people in here know what the purpose of man is? Stole this from the shorter catechism, which is uh, not really that short. It's kind of short, I guess. But back in the, I guess, 1600s or 1700s it came out. And it was just this list of facts, biblical facts and scripture to back it up. 
biblical principles that people used. And the very first thing that they taught people, they taught their kids, was the chief purpose of a man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I could give you about nine scriptures to back it up. That is the purpose of man's life. Female, woman's life, equal opportunity speaker here, right? That is the purpose of your life to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I want you to think about this now. Are you fulfilling that purpose in your life? Are you bringing glory to God and are you enjoying Him right now? If you're not, I'm going to ask you to go back to step one in this thing and see what your perspective is on God. Perspective right, position's right. When your position's right, you understand your purpose. Now, every single person's person's purpose in this room could be different. One of y'all in here may go and become an architect that builds a building and leads to the construction of the new temple. That might be your purpose in life. Another person's life may be to mop floors every single day of your life and to clean vomit out of a pre-K classroom. Most of y'all be like, that ain't much of a life. But to put a smile on your face and to be a witness to God's glory when you see those little faces and when you see those teachers come through, that could be your purpose in life. Your purpose in life may be to be the next Billy Graham and to lead people closer to Christ and to lead people to Christ. Your purpose in life could be anything in between all that. But how are you ever going to know the specific purpose in your life if you don't understand that the true purpose of all people's life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him? How are you going to know that when you don't have the right perspective of who God is? God is not a genie in a bottle that we rub and we go, Lord, I really need grandma to get better. Lord, I really need a, a raise in my, in my salary. Lord, I really need a new car. Lord, I really need this or I really need that or don't let this happen and don't let that happen. That is not the purpose or the role of who God should be in your life. He is the one who gets the glory. From every breath we take, to every sin that we commit, He still looks at you and He still says, You, I have not written you off. You are still my child. And I still want to have that relationship with you.